You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Making of a Marketer, the podcast that takes you around the world of marketing one topic at a time. Hosted by digital marketing consultants Jess Nickerson and Andy Pondillo. We welcome you to join the conversation. Stream us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Now, here are your hosts, Jess and Andy. The Making of a Marketer back here on a Friday afternoon. It is Jess and Andy, and it is bright and sunny here today in Pittsburgh, Jess. So we are exiting, well, not quite exiting, but getting close to exiting February. The Super Bowl is over. We're looking towards spring. You know, good vibes all around right now, Jess. So I hope you're feeling motivated today and ready for another exciting podcast. Yes, it feels like it's sunny across the entire U.S. But Andy, don't you still anticipate like there's going to be a, a final snow or there's going to be like that, you know, final push where, right when you're getting ready? I know there's going to be. There's always one right in April up here. And again, like we have to stay ahead of this. So once we get to season three of The Making of a Marketer, you know why I brought this up a few weeks ago is that we always talk about seasonal marketing. And on the show, we have all kinds of marketers, different verticals, different practices, different stories. I want a marketer for Robitussin or Mucinex to come on and tell us how they do seasonal marketing before winter rolls in, because it would be such a unique topic. Like, do you go hard at like e-commerce, like to to buy Mucinex? Do you go hard at brand? Like, what what is the strategy? So... You know, I feel like this is that rebound season. Uh, so where the cold rolls in, you might have one more. But we're not going to talk this into the world just because next week is my bachelor party. So we're really excited for that right now. Oh, yes. I do want to talk further about yes. this. So we'll, we'll save it for after. We'll save it for after. I'll talk about the branding that led us to the destination we're going. So if you're listening uh, and you're curious, like what's about to take place, there's some branding in play here as to why we chose what we chose. But for today, we're talking big brand and we're talking to Anson Sobey, uh, founder and CEO of Battery, an agency with several locations. Anson is based right now in Hollywood and... Someone who has, what I would say, built the career of dreams for a marketer. Someone that's come from the marketing background, like a lot of us do who are listening on this podcast, and you went for it and started your own agency and built it in to one that's won several awards. You've scaled, you've done these large projects, and I'm extremely excited because some of the projects you've touched, Anson, are ones that we've studied 
uh, in different marketing agencies and tried to, you know, base some of our techniques after. So I'm real curious today, not only to dive in what you're doing at Battery, but also your journey to get where you're at. So definitely an exciting show for us today. And welcome to the podcast from your bright and sunny office. <laughs> Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So our first question, Anson, we talk about this with everybody that we have on. And I specifically want to know from your lens as someone that is a CEO and a, a co-founder of a big, large company that works in this marketing industry, you know, we talk about creativity all the time and how to be unstuck. So uh, there are times where we get stuck, where we kind of go through the monotony. We do the same thing. And what you do in your day-to-day -day is really pushing some boundaries and finding different ways to bring large brands you know, to the everyday person. So tell us how you get unstuck creatively personally and maybe how you think about that with Battery. Yeah, it's interesting. And I don't necessarily know so much if I get stuck, but I definitely get frustrated. I get mad, I get pissed off. So maybe that's the same thing as, as being stuck. You know. I guess the 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 one thing about LA is we're always driving in our cars constantly. And often in the middle of the day, whether I'm at the office or at home, I'll just go for a drive and I'll either do errands or literally I'll circle blocks and I'll just go for a drive. And that absolutely works every time. Uh, every now and then it gives me even more road rage and makes me even more mad, but usually it doesn't. It, it's just that going for a ride and, and, and it might sound odd, but I, I do it in silence and it just kind of flushes out my mind and clears my mind and come back to the office or come back home and try to get back into what I was doing. If that makes sense. So I like that terminology, Jess, you don't know about this, but Houston and LA like go hand in hand when it comes to traffic. So uh, well, you know about this, you know, San Francisco, so you've been down there. So yeah, you kind of live in the same life. But yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of different mindsets. We used to, because I grew up in Houston, Anson, so we'd always kind of, you know, if you leave at 6 a.m., you could get there to start your 8 a.m. workday. But you had to leave at that time because if there's one accident, you know, there's an extra hour added to it. I used to actually do the same thing sometimes. I'll kind of go drive around the block and like come back or run a quick errand or anything like that to clear my mind. The tough thing that I always had was, you know, hey, the, the restaurant or the place I want to go for lunch is three blocks away. It should take me five minutes. Uh, before Google Maps, you know, like it should take me five minutes, but I hope it does. So that was one of those things. You kind of just have to gauge how frustrated you get on the road. I, what I like about this is you're you're taking an environmental lemon, as some people may see it. So you know that being in traffic, it, it it can make you frustrated, and it's it seems like a time suck. And you're turning it into lemonade, and, and creating a, a positive experience where you can uh, unlock your creativity. Yeah, I think that you have to find ways all the time with creativity because I can, ex same thing, I can definitely get stale at times. Like I've talked about this on the podcast a few times, Jess, where I have kind of sat there and kind of thrown some darts at the wall. You know, we're looking at consulting a client on their big brand campaign. Like what is something new, but maybe not, new, maybe not too new, you know, maybe too new is not the right thing for them, but what is something new to like, 
reinvent the way they're doing things. But in this new fashion, I find a lot of times my ideas come when it's like 1 a.m. and I should be asleep or I'm watching true crime documentaries, um, you know, things like that. But let's start here with a more important question. And we're talking about, you know, Anson, as the co-founder and CEO of Battery, you've worked with Netflix, Land Lakes, Warner Brothers. Um, let's talk about some cool campaigns you've worked on. I want to like start at the top here, things that you're doing with Battery, and then we're going to work down from that a little bit. So just tell us a little bit about the campaigns, what your agency does, and how things come together for the brands that you work with. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll describe what probably seems like two very opposite ends of the spectrum. And you name two of them right now, from Netflix to Land O'Lakes, uh, dairy, cheese, and butter. Uh, you know, Netflix, we were, we were super, super lucky to get together with them, you know, years ago when they were just starting to launch stand-up comedy and, you know, a lot of different types of comedic uh, programming. And it was, you know, still relatively early on in streaming, you know, they were absolutely the, the first mover. And, you know, we were honestly lucky, obviously, so much of this business is having the right, not only the right client in terms of the company, but the right people that are on the other side of the table. And I don't know how many companies uh, uh, would have done a campaign that's insert their name is a joke, like Netflix is a joke. And kudos to them for wanting to take that that bold move. But, you know, that was about something we knew we really had to stand out. Obviously, Netflix already had such a great brand and we wanted to lean into that comedy. And then the opposite end of the spectrum is Land Lakes, which is such a pleasure to work on a brand like that that tries to do so much for rural America. And they always talk about the 1% feeds the 99% of us and a lot of misconceptions that people have about farmers and ranchers or it's probably us marketers have we have we portrayed you know farm to table and farmers but that's such a pleasure to work on a brand that has such a important mission you know for our country and for our food and for, for our table and so you know and there's kind of everything everything in between but but the 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 commonality between the both is just i know it sounds cheesy and cliche but it's just amazing smart fair nice humble people on the other side of the table. Anson, you hit on a point with Netflix. Yeah, the, the campaign is absolutely brilliant. Tell us more about like going in with such a big creative bold idea and you know the the the, the space that you created and like the reception you received and how did you maybe come overcome some resistance? Yeah, I, I'd say the most resistance was us internally, you know, because that that original uh, uh, campaign came out of a pitch. It was it was a pitch from Netflix to tell the world that they were now about stand up comedy and, and all the all the stand up comedy programming that was then going to roll out on the service. And when one of our folks internally came up with that line, if anything, we 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 hadn't worked with Netflix before. So if anything, we're like, are they going to laugh us out of the room? Are they going to literally say, leave, there's the door, you're crazy? Why would we ever say Netflix is a joke? So the idea originally started off as just one part of something. And again, kudos to Netflix, they're like, okay, wait, wait, what's that thing right there? And then it started off as a billboard idea, then became a campaign. 
And then now, you know, years later, Netflix has taken it in so many different ways from the Netflix show comedy festival to their serious, you know, uh, 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 you know, satellite streaming channel uh, to, you know, all their social handles. So it's, it's, that's actually been a fun experience to see where they've taken it, you know, since then through the years, it's kind of like we gave birth to this marketing baby and, and Netflix is raising it. Uh, in the world and you don't always get that experience so that's been fun just to see where they've taken but if anything the 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 friction was internally of like are they gonna pick us out for for suggesting this type of idea and tell us about just the the massive reach that's gotten you from battery you know ad age agencies of the year three times congratulations anson i working in the agency world i know how hard it is to achieve that type of scale and to build something of that nature has to be extremely rewarding but when you do great work like that i think organically you know, it's gratifying to your agency, it's gratifying to Netflix, and then it also gives you that pizzazz almost from a B2B side. Has it gotten you more reach because you're willing to take risks of that nature to ensure that their brand reaches the highest of highest tiers? Yeah, it, it for sure definitely put us on the map. You know, we were still pretty young at that point. And prior to that point, we had a lot of big launches, but it was it was primarily in video games. We really didn't have anything in in that type of entertainment. And, and around that time, after we launched that campaign, we had a lot of different brands and clients come to us. And literally so many of them said, what is our Netflix is a joke? Help us come up with our Netflix is a joke. And I thought, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. We're going to do this 20 times across all these different brands. And quickly what we realized, we realized how brave Netflix actually was because most of these brands that came to us with that exact ask weren't brave enough to do something and really take a chance and really put themselves out there. And it made us realize how brave Netflix was, you know, as marketers, because most of brands, most of the brands that came to us weren't prepared internally to, to do something like that but it for sure the the phone kept ringing and ringing and ringing and yeah it's, it's still something that resonates to today but it, it it taught us a lot again it's easy for an agency to say hey client you should be brave because it's not our money it's their it's their it's their budget it's their campaign it's them on the lines i think so many agents make that mistake of you need even more brave or you need to take chances well it's easy for us to say on this side of the table but it, 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 we learned a lot by what those brands were and weren't willing to do at that time. So, Anson, let's talk about taking chances and flip this to you now. So, reading through your LinkedIn, I want to ask about a quote that you have on your profile. Uh, before Battery, you served a Mormon mission in Brazil, graduated from USC Business School, developed video games, ran a toy marketing division, and led a blogger marketing company, all in that order prior to leading up to where you're at today. I love the diverse experiences. Something Justin and I talk about a lot on this program is we want to get marketers maybe away from all the X's and Y's and what certification do I need and what things do I need to do and who do I need to network with. We want them to experience you know, what marketing is about and all of those things will come hand in hand. But when I read your profile, what I read is someone who experienced a lot of different things that led you up to becoming a founder and CEO. So I was curious if you could elaborate on that. Yeah, yeah. There aren't many 
former Mormon missionaries in advertising, I guess. I, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, I was raised uh, in the Mormon church and I left and moved to Brazil when I was 19 and, and served a, a Mormon mission. And what's actually interesting is I'm not practicing Mormon anymore. I'm not practicing in the church, but that time of that experience of just being, you know, a young American kid being thrown into a different culture, learning a different language. And, and a big part of the mission was, you know, leadership. Right. And not only leading like local church congregations in Brazil, but leading other missionaries. And it was, it was very much it had all these levels of leadership, which is interesting. And it, and it for sure got me out of my shell. I don't think I was the most outgoing and enthusiastic kid necessarily. Um, but that just completely got me out of my shell. And so many of my experiences kind of harken back to those experiences and, and just how 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 tough it is, you know, all day to be knocking on doors. And really you're a, you're a salesman for, you know, the Mormon church is as odd as that sounds. And, and it, I think that really did lead me into advertising marketing, which of course is all about sales and leadership and understanding your consumer and not trying to shove a message down, down their throat. So it, it was, you know, definitely a, a non-traditional beginning, but it, it for sure formed the foundation for a lot of what I do since then now as an, now as an old guy not a young missionary anymore. Jess, this is so much of what we've heard on this show. So Anson, just to take us back, we're on season two of the program now, and we've kind of, we've tried to figure out what are the consistencies. Sometimes we hear of successful marketers such as yourself, and we hear this time and time again. It's things that people have done early in their careers, personal life, leadership skills. They learn completely away from marketing. Jess is an expert in trying to bring this out of people. She's a very good, you know, coach and instructor on her other life. And Jess, I think this is something that you really, really point to. And I think it shows, again, the importance of the teachings you have and hearing Anson in the place you're at, why it's important to experience things, but not just be like, hey, this was an experience 20 years ago. You take different things from it and it helps you later on in your careers. Mm -hmm. Yes, we've talked about this many times before. You know, the the hot the hot word right now or the trending word is about marketers and storytelling. And I think we place a lot of focus on how to tell a story when actually we should be looking at the life experiences that we're living to share those stories and tell those stories. And, and that's really the way we're going to make things more compelling and connect with our audiences and the way that we need to connect. So let's talk about brand and the power of brand in your agency, Anson. So um, it's a powerful tool, striking visual campaigns, um, learning how to captivate an audience in just a couple of seconds. So we're talking about Netflix is a joke, um, things that we deal with a lot, Jess and I, in our day-to-days is we used to teach like video, for instance, on social media, you know, in 2015, 60 seconds, maybe, then it was like 2019, we're talking 30 seconds. And then now we live in an era of TikTok dancing, and we're talking about six second and eight second videos and how you get your brand out there and you can be visually striking. So tell us about what you're doing a battery kind of in this modern age of striking visuals and maybe how that's changed over the course of time throughout your campaigns. 
Yeah, it's interesting. I was just having this conversation with one of our video game clients earlier today. And so long story short, we originally started Battery as a video game marketing agency because at that time, video games were shifting from like, I go and buy a physical disc at Target to I download my entire experience and flash forward to today. And it's all about live service, free to play subscription, you know, the Fortnite world that we all live in. But at that time, you know, prior to that, video games were marketed like theatrical movies, right? Try to drive as many units over six weeks as you can before Target discounts it. So the, this kind of, you know, uh, uh, hump model. But we saw an opportunity, we said, okay, now that video games are this living, breathing, live experience, we need to market more like the Procter & Gamble Unilever model. Now it's a consumer good. It's a razor, razor blade. It's almost a stick of deodorant. So we started, we saw that opportunity to do that. And at that time, it was about legitimizing the video game industry. The video game industry wasn't as mainstream as it was now. So it was a lot of celebrities, a lot of big films, a lot of taking this small thing and really blowing it up. Well, now that video games are the mainstream and are arguably if not the dominant form of entertainment, one of the dominant forms of entertainment, we constantly ask ourselves, okay, does that same model of marketing still work? Like you said, in the streamer world, in the Twitch world, and in, in the TikTok world, are they gonna watch a 60 second big celebrity multi-million dollar film? I don't know. And so we're very much in the video game industry. What is that next evolution of games, you know, marketing for Gen A, for Gen Z? And it's all about creators. It's all about influencers. But it's 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 a challenge. You want to, especially in video games, you want to, you 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 don't want to get too far into feature based marketing, right? What makes the new season of game X Y Z different? This feature, this that, this that, you know. And and you have to put your brand so much in the power of streamers and creators because this video game marketing has completely evolved, just as the industry and as the product has over the last 10 or 12 years. So long story short, it's kind of that, does the big celebrity film advertising work for video games anymore in this world of Twitch, TikTok, Instagram, Reels, uh, uh, et cetera. And it's, it's, a real, it's a real question mark, I think for video games, as well as obviously lots of other industries. Anson, so on that point, I just would love your opinion on this. I, I'm sure there's not a silver bullet but can you explain to me, like, why is this a thing now with video games where you have these influencers or you have these people that are creating these channels on YouTube and they're just playing the game? And like, there's there's this community that's like engaging with this content. Like, I'm, I'm trying to understand, like, what is this saying about the human behavior? I mean, I think I look at it as a good thing because video games are so much more social now. I mean, they're hardly ever played alone. You know, the old single player missions of old, it's a completely social experience where you're, whether you're physically with someone or you're on the headset and you're talking to someone. And so I think that the, the streamers playing it and the thousands or hundreds of thousands of people that are following along with that streamer is that social experience because they're doing 10 things at once. But I know, you know, someone will come in and say, why in the world would I want to watch someone play video games? Well, it's part of that social experience. And, and that's also how I think the marketing has evolved because it's, it's truly, you are not playing a game alone anymore at, at not at the rate that you were even five, six, seven years ago. You know, it's this, 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 and obviously the pandemic just blew that through the roof in terms of the digital, you know, social experience.
It makes me laugh right now, Anson, because I wonder, you know, Batman Arkham Knight, which is an incredible game. Uh, the Arkham series, in my opinion, is the, the greatest series of games potentially ever made. And I will go back and play those probably 50 times if I could, but they take a lot of time. Uh, I kind of think about it now, the Be the Batman campaign that she had on that. I wonder what that would look like in 2024. Like, you know, it would be like a bunch of people like in my in our 30s, like in Batman costumes doing UGC playing it. And then you like zoom into the game and then you see like the Batman and incredible graphics. But, you know, I think about that a lot. You know, a one that I like and I, I feel um, like really is memorable to me. And I think you guys touched it a little bit was the Crash Bandicoot. A series where they had the the crash costume and it was like a human wearing it and they're really goofy i like that age of video game commercials it was a little bit ugc ish before ugc uh mario games used to do this i remember super smash brothers is a bunch of mario characters like punching each other uh so i wonder do you think that that's something that starts to come back a little bit where it's more of this kind of like lower resolution in person and then maybe you kind of mix and match it with the fancy graphics and gameplay. Yeah, yeah, totally. I, I think that the original PlayStation crash stuff of him showing up in the Nintendo headquarters with a megaphone and saying, come on out, plumber boy, come on out. It was just such a brash way and just, you. all right, I got the personality and I got what the brand was and it was, it was, such a smart way to kind of define the brand of the character when at that time it was really just Mario and Mario didn't really necessarily have a personality and they just grabbed on onto Crash's personality. And yeah, I, oh, I for sure think it's going to be more UGC stuff. It's going to be more stuff and not just in the hands of, you know, the big quote unquote famous streamers, but in the hands of just, you know, everyday folks who are streaming to their friends and maybe they're not a famous creator, but they've got their, their community. And for sure, I think it's a lot in, in, in the hands of them because that's what that, I think that's what this generation of gamers is, is, is listening to and, 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 and caring about problem is they're probably listening to nine other things at the same time. So you literally got to know that going in, you know, uh, and, and it's, it's it's such a fun experience, but yes, UGC I think for sure in this new age is is the way to go. I quickly have to just share my my crash story. So Crash literally broke me <clears throat> when I was younger. I had a PlayStation. I played Crash, and one Halloween I came home from school, just started playing it. My parents came home. It was dark. And I had not moved. So again, this is before the days of like this connectivity and being social about it had not moved. My dad walks in and he immediately removes the PlayStation and there were no more video games, no more crash for me after that point. So that's my crash story. <laughs> I have a crazy video game story. I'll tell you later, Jess. I ha This will derail the entire conversation, but I think as... Our generation as kids, like playing video games in the dark when we're not supposed to, I feel like all of us have one of those stories in some regard. It's just which video game and system it was on could vary. But I got a really good one for you. Uh, Anson, let's talk about battery as a whole right now. So you're, you know, what is it, over 11 years in the game right now operating this agency. Tell us 
where you started with battery, where it's headed, some of the services that you do offer, and kind of just curious, you know, how you keep pushing that envelope forward. Yeah. So, you know, with our original start in video games, we then started to, you know, branch out from that to the Netflixes of the world and the streaming. But I, I think what we really understood early on was that youth consumer, right? It was a gamer, then it was a streamer, but it was that youth consumer. And initially our growth happened because, well, the gamer also banks or the gamer also drives a car or the gamer also does this. And so we were able to essentially move into like-minded industries. So like the World Bank of Canada, you know, seems like a very odd client for a video game focused agency. But we started working with RBC in their youth marketing group and how they needed to speak to young adults and just what banking meant for young adults and how to tell that story. And then we then essentially grew up and, you know, expanded our role with RBC. And we've done that across a lot of other uh, different clients, but really, and, and now obviously we have the clients like Atlanta Lakes where we're speaking to a lot of different audiences, but what has maintained, uh, or I should say what has been the thread of steel is really our business model. So we say, look, let's start with traditional consumer good marketing principles, right? That we've learned from the PNGs and the Unilevers. Let's infuse Hollywood storytelling, making something entertainment, someone should care about it. But then let's take a Silicon Valley work model and always be pivoting and, you know, moving fast and, you know, always shipping the beta product. And sorry to be saying 10 catchphrases in one sentence, but, you know, it's, it's that model of like traditional classic marketing meets this, the new storytelling model, but done in a very agile, you know, pivoting model. And so that's what we apply these days, whether it's a Land Lakes or an RBC or, 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 or what have you. Tell us how you've been able to take this brand model and make it succeed so highly in kind of a demand generation world. So Jess and I, what we do a lot, we will consult. I handle a lot of higher ed. Uh, Jess handles a lot of B2B. We dabble in different industries. And what's very common is with marketers, they believe in brand. I think mostly all of us do believe in it because we see the metrics and what it does over the long course of time, but we're held to such demand metrics. We need to hit a quota. We need a certain amount of conversions, return on investment, leads, whatever it may be. How have you been able to make sure the conversation really hits all of these points and create success for your clients? Yeah, we always say to the clients, you know, when you're briefing us, please include the KPIs up front, right? It's so funny that sometimes often the briefs are 16 pages long and the KPIs are on the last page. I'm like, you know, please keep keep us focused on what matters the most. So we literally always ask our clients, please open the creative brief with the KPIs and let's end with the KPIs because at the end of the day, that's what we're measured on, whether it's sales or awareness or download or positioning or et cetera. But we would say, please, please, please. We might not be able to stop the 16 page briefs, but we can at least say, keep us focused on, on what's the most important. And we constantly just preach that internally, or even then whenever we're like presenting a case study to a potential client, we'll start with the end in mind, right? We'll start with those uh, uh, KPIs and we, you know, very much learned that, you know, from Stephen Covey and the high, you know, the the seven habits of highly effective people, right? Start with the end in mind. 
So it's starting with the KPIs because that's that's what we're going to be measured on. That's really all that matters versus doing something cool, you know, or doing something groundbreaking. Well, Anson, this has been extremely insightful. I know there's marketers listening to this that have learned a lot. You know, I have come from the world of agency prior to, to working at LinkedIn. I always like to talk about my goofy marketing career. It starts in radio as a radio host. I did a little social media there, transitions into marketing. I go to agency. I go back to in-house. I go back to agency. Now I'm at LinkedIn consulting agency and in-house. So it plays this like weird way of how everything works out. I would like to hear your perspective because there's a lot of folks that probably are listening to this podcast that they're like, hey, I would love to either go work for myself, start something big. I don't know how to get started. I don't know how to get funding for something like this. I don't even know where to begin. And this even resonates with me. It's something that will Andy go start a company tomorrow? Probably not. But has it been in the back of my head, you know, whether it be a side hustle or something that like way down the road, I could pull off something, you know, as awesome as battery. I don't know. But I always like to say like marketers, the there's really no limits to what you can do. If you have the ideas, the work ethic, you meet the right people, you make things happen. So I'm just curious what your words of advice would be for someone that wants to be you down the road, where would they start and how would they get to this point? Yeah, I'd say it's, I'd say it's three things, you know, first find yourself a ride or die partner. My, my co-founder, Philip Kosid, who's our chief creative officer, man, we, I go into the fire for that man. And, and that, that was number one, you know, at least for me, find that right person that it's, you know, you and them uh, against the world. Uh, probably number two, make sure you realize it's going to be like a kajillion billion trillion times harder than you could ever have possibly thought. And number three is mental health, y you know, and, I thank God it's that's such a conversation now. My wife jokes that in the early days of battery, I would go to my dark place, right? I would come home and I, you know, it was the closest I ever got to depression. And battery was and still is so much of what I care about. And when battery's not doing well, man, it affects and rubs off on me so much. And so I'd say that, you know find your ride or die partner, know it's going to be tough. And, you know, I don't want to say get your mental house in order because that's so hard, but I'd say, you know, really, really pay attention to your mental well-being. I, I didn't realize how much of a strain and impact, not even a strain, like like a freight train hitting my face, you know, the the mental health impact of of running and starting your own company. It's tough. It's rewarding. It's amazing but it's, but it's tough. And it's a fabulous conversation. My fiance works in mental health, so it's very deep and rooted in our house, but it is something that until I met her, I don't think I ever tackled it in my career. And I felt like I was like a car going 180 miles per hour in my marketing career that just couldn't escape certain thoughts. I'll even say that before I met her, 
there was a relationship I had where I was told that Andy, like you never exit social media because you're working so hard to become something of yourself. Like I can't even sit down to watch Netflix, you know? So that really hits home for me. It's something I've worked on a lot over the last, I would say five to six years. So the impact that just those words can mean to someone else who's going through similar things, I think is super, super important. So we thank you for that. Thank you for this conversation. And I'm extremely excited now. I'm going to be watching the campaigns you guys are launching and curious uh, to see what you have up your sleeves next, both in the video game world and across all of your clients. Uh, big, big thank you for being on with us today. Oh, thank you both. I really appreciate the opportunity. You, you two are awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Anson. See ya. So Jess, I love the way that Anson ended it right there because yeah. this again is becoming a significant theme with all of our marketing leaders going back to mental health and making this very, very mainstream, not something that we've seen up until recent years. And I feel like there is almost like this narrative that's out there that like Gen Z is the one that pushes it. And I do think they push it at a higher volume than any other generation. But we are seeing this coming from leaders who are doing the biggest of biggest things in the marketing world. Mm -hmm. And we're asking them, what is the most important thing for you to get to where you are? And they're going straight to mental health over and over and over again. So I think it's extremely important that we keep hearing it from people that have the success that Anson has. Yes. And it is so important and so impactful to hear someone like Anson, uh, you know, a, a creative at the top of their game, going through uh, struggles uh, in that area, like sharing their vulnerabilities, because you are absolutely right. We never would have had these conversations 10 years ago. We don't, you don't talk about it. You know, you don't, you're feeling something, uh, you know, just too bad deal with it. And if you share it, that uh, could impact your chance of growth or your chance of moving up within a certain organization. And the other thing too, is the natural manner that it comes through with our guests, because what we're doing on this program is we're eliminating this world where you know, it's like, hey, I was able to talk to a leader today for 30 minutes because it's the only time they had for me over the next two months. Realistic thing that happens in workplaces. So you're not going to be able to talk about things like this. Leader is not going to be able to talk about their, their selves personally. It's all going to be ROI and KPI oriented and things like that. I think the making of a marketer allows different groups to feel comfortable talking to each other. And I think if we can get to any point you know, of that more so in this kind of marketing corporate culture is just like talking about things at these human levels, whether it be in one-to-one -one group settings, however it is. But I feel like for us to have confidence to even get there professionally, we have to see leaders doing this and them being vulnerable in a natural and organic state, mm -hmm. not a forced time, not a we're going to do this for a one hour every quarter time, like a very natural state that they're willing to talk about things. And I think you'd be surprised how many more people will be willing to do that. And where I think this comes to be impactful, is we see layoff after layoff, 
people leaving after leaving. I don't know, Jess, is there one like marketing group you consult that hasn't had one major change in the last two years? I can't think of one. Like every group I talk to, there's changes that are happening. Mm -hmm. And maybe if you just have this conversation, it may stop someone from being like, hey, I'm not heard here and moving on to the next thing. Maybe they'll at least kind of think twice because they know naturally you have their back. So I think the natural authenticity of this is really an important feature. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the real deal. These are the real conversations people are craving. And as marketers, not only do we need to have them with each other, uh, but we need to have them with our customers as well, because this is the way to connect. This is the way to build that understanding. This is the way to really empathize. I mean, I know we use empathy. Empathy is another trending word. Empathy, uh, uh, genuine authenticity. I just, you know, we've talked about it so much before, but people just want real things. And if you give them what they want, then they're going to be more engaged and they, they're going to want to interact more with you and your brand. And that's what I can't say enough about us engaging leaders about thought leadership. Hot subject right now. Um, spoiler alert. I'm sure it's not much of a spoiler, but we see this popping right now on LinkedIn. Like it's it's been a big change how much thought leadership posts we see. I have different strategies of links of posts, of video content, of things to do. All important, yes, but it's all second to are you being yourself? Are you being natural? Are you putting something into the sphere that people want to talk about? Sure, launching a new product, ribbon cuttings, things like that. Sure, post about it, but post about it through your perspective. I worked X amount of years. This was a dream of mine, something I thought up, you know, while I was struggling with why. This is something that, um, I couldn't have done without addressing X, like things like that. That's what people want to see. They don't want to see this glam and kind of what I would say is fake marketing that is kind of corporate speak that, you know, hey, everything's great and beautiful and there's nothing we overcame. We just make these amazing products and then move on to the next post. It's crafted by a PR person. So it has to be more natural. And I think that that's going to be a continuous thing we see over the course of the next several years is that it's not only recommended, but I feel like the audience demands it now. And I feel like what we see now versus 10 years from now is going to be like on steroids of what the audience demands. Mm -hmm. Anson had a really interesting observation that I eventually want to dive deeper into. And it's around the whole briefing process and how he is asking his customers to put the measurement KPIs or to, to really hone in on their objectives and put them at the start of the brief, yeah. knowing that most are in the back of a 12 page briefing yeah. document. So to me, that is like, it's very curious because we say, yeah, the, the KPIs, it's all about measurement. Like that is the number one goal. That is what we're really working towards. Then you're right. Like why, why isn't every brief, every document, everything you say leading with those KPIs? So I think that's something to, 
to tackle and go a little deeper with. Like, I'm just thinking about like the, how might we around that human behavior, because there's, there's a major contradiction there in what people are saying and what is actually happening. And it's the ambiguity of it. So working on the agency side, we would go through briefs. It was a little different. So I worked on a social media sphere versus creative. So my position in this was probably a little different than Anson's, but there are still similar things like KPIs. So I would go through a brief or talk to the client first time. Are they right fit for us? You know, they've got tons of cash. So traditionally in the agency world, if they have a uh, a bag of cash, they're a great fit. Like it's just the way that the game works. But what would happen is we would have different parties of the team on. So you'd have like a creative person, you have someone in sales, you would have a C-level. And then I would hear different KPIs. Like they, we'd bring it up and then they would talk through them and they don't align with each other. Like someone's saying they want a lead volume. Another person is saying they want only SQLs. So they want qualified leads versus volume of leads. The C-level person is like, make us money. And this is like contradictory of what the platform of social media can do. It has to be very direct what you're going for in this agency relationship. So there were times I'd say, hold the campaign. I'll be like, we have to get everybody in a room and we need to go through whether it's a one hour exercise or six hour exercise, like in the mountains doing yoga or something. Like we got to figure out what we're doing before we start. And there are so many marketers executives, agencies that are just afraid to say no. And I think that's important what Anson is doing here. It may not be saying no, but it's saying, hey, we can't start until this is in place. And that is really not just agency world. It's so many walks of life and marketing. Mm -hmm. I partially think it comes back to just the, the fear of failing. You know, I point a lot to this. But to me, it, it seems like it's almost like, like, oh, if we have this KPI and maybe it doesn't really fit in the social sphere, like that is the, you know, that's the ex excuse in a way where, okay, then like, I don't, I don't have to take this risk. I don't have to like push the creativity to this level level it's you know it's it's all it's it's absolutely a blocker that's just my my, my thought and my observation and i'm hoping like as we continue to evolve and continue to learn and grow our skills in this industry that we can have like that same conversation around overcoming the fear Mm -hmm. uh, as in taking accountability and learning from it as we are now having with mental health and, and protecting our health and looking at our health. Maybe it's just asking the client, what do you fear? What if that's something we just start asking, like when we're workshopping with clients, what are your fears? And then we kind of work back from that. That is a great idea. It is absolutely worth a test. I mean, and I'm, I'll be curious to see, like, do you think people are going to feel comfortable enough or feel like they can be vulnerable enough to speak the truth. And the thing too is like fears, for instance. So we're, we wanna be like super upfront. We're not telling you to like do the craziest thing that gets your brand canceled overnight because there have been brands that have taken risks and it's like blown up on them. Um, that That's a prelude to our next episode. We're gonna talk about risky campaigns a little bit um, across the 
uh, industry. But no, we're not necessarily saying that. I think these are large organizations. They have the right, most of them have the right protections in place. They have, you know, senior level PR staffs. They know like what too much could be. But there's also so many tools in their arsenal now, social media listening, uh, all the metrics about what types of topics are trending both in traditional and digital. Like, how do you relate your content to this topic? Like, there's a lot of ways that you can be like, okay, we're going to hit this audience with this topic based on this research. And then we're going to skew it in a way that's a little bit different than what other people are doing that makes you stop and look like Netflix is a joke makes me stop and look versus Netflix has a new comedy series. Like it just it's that simple sometimes to just change the phrasing a little bit. But you got to be willing to take a little bit of that risk. Mm hmm. And, you know, Anson talked about it and I I'd love to go deeper with him on that point around the, the fear and the tension and came from the, the internal team and asking like, should we take this risk? Should we present this creative, bold idea? Like, are we going to get laughed out of the office? And, you know, we don't know the full ins and outs of what they, what they went through in those brainstorming sessions, but thank goodness they assessed it in the way where they they presented it and uh, you know and look at what they've learned and look at how they have grown from being able to take a, a very exciting calculated risk i mean i'll tell you what happens like i give i like to give the real talk of agency world <laughs> you know for better or for worse so um, I had a client way back when, and our agency was kind of on like the brink of elimination, like we need to save the client or we're all going to roll. So like we tried to go big, like we had these ideas and um, new slogans and ways to present things and get them out of the monotony of day to day posts and like just something that's not being done. And we presented it and all got shot down in one meeting, nothing happened, the client got rid of us and we lost our jobs. Like that is the fear right there of why people don't take risks in companies. If they don't allow you to have job security, if you're going to take a risk, people generally won't do it because they've been burned either once or they've seen people get burned around them uh, in the agency world. So again, it comes from leadership and building that comfort that, hey, like if you try something, you're not going to get burned for doing it. But again, I think that spans past agency and just in the marketing in general. Mm -hmm. And build it more into these measurement plans and the experiments. It, it has to be seen as like, yes, this is a risk. And, you know, with risk, there there is a lot, there does come uncertainty, but like, look at how much you're going to grow and you're going to learn and uh, how you're going to create something even better after uh, taking that leap. By taking the leap. Well, here's a leap from this conversation. So I got to <laughs> close this out, Jess. You reminded me of a great video game um, instance that happened in my life. So I was young and I had the Super Nintendo. Uh, so I was like the cool kid because I had it. And uh, my sister, so she is 
12 years older than me. So we have a, a large age gap. Um, she was dating in her later teens. And I had the Super Nintendo. And her boyfriend at the time, like, kept coming over to play my Super Nintendo. So he'd come over and, like, say hi to her. And then go into my room and ask if we wanted to play this game called Earthbound. And he got hooked on it and it started to impact their relationship because he was coming over to play Super Nintendo with like her six year old younger brother. So there was one time he came over and we were playing a game and it was like dark and I was like needing to go to bed because I had school the next day. And my mom storms in is like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like keeping me up like that. And she like kicked them out. And then my sister shortly after um, broke up with him down the line and then met her current husband. So video games played a distinct role <laughs> in her meeting her husband because he stopped paying attention to her and he got hooked on Earthbound on the Super Nintendo. Luckily, your mom didn't take away your gaming system. And I just have to have this quick note. So my sister and I are 13 years apart. And we did not know this about each other, but I just feel like that is that is a commonality between yes. us and maybe why we 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 gel the way that we do. But yeah, and it's like, you know, the the uh, thing is uh, with that type of age gap is like you're not an only child, but you almost kind of live your own lives. And that's like super unique by having that larger age gap. So. Um, that's something we could talk about in another episode. I think that would yes. be fun. You know, as Anson said, we're our rider dies right now in the marketing <laughs> industry. Like we're building this thing. So like he gave me some like motivation right there. But that's all time we have just for this episode. Next episode next week, we have a theme about risky marketing campaigns. So I think Scandal. these kind of well into each other. And you know what I was thinking? Not that I'm suggesting that things are going to get wild for you next week, but I think we should uh, discuss your bachelor party. Yes. During our scandal episode. Yeah, let's do it during the scandal episode because that's going to take a, a, a segment there as to like why we picked the location we did, like why the marketing has attracted us to this location. And um, I'll just say that what it is like pre with us, we're going to Miami and I've not been there before. So why did we choose this location? What are we looking to do? How did we end up getting a private yacht? Um, like all these cool things that are going to come into play. We'll talk about that on the next episode. Oh, yeah, this is going to be perfect for for scandal for yes. sure. So we look forward to that next week. Um, again, Anson Sobe, check him out both on LinkedIn, his company battery. They got great case studies on there. If you're just looking for ideas, I, I strongly recommend going to their site, looking at some of their work and we will be back again next week. So thank you again for another great episode, Jess. Thanks. Bye. So, bye everyone. This podcast is heard along the marketing podcast network for more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.